Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Man, come on. I had a rough night, and I hate the fucking eagles, man. Conversations about collaboration, episode 45. Forrest Key joins me. He is the founder and CEO of Voodle. We talk about stories, Slack, Clubhouse, asynchronous communication, and personalized videos. Let's rock and roll. Forrest, where does this pod find you? Hey, Phil. I am in Pismo Beach, California today in my home office in my Airbnb that I've been living in for five months. And I hear it's pretty cozy there right now yes there's a pandemic heat pandemic on the west coast and it's 72 degrees sunny here right nice and cool by the ocean Hmm. well let's get right into it i'm intrigued about voodle and i gave it a shot a couple weeks ago when we were chatting um there's a bit of a paradox on one hand people are kind of married to the way that they had been working pre-pandemic and yeah they might be using teams or slack but not nearly as much as they could Yet when it comes to creating videos or stories, they think nothing of it in Snap or Facebook or whatever. Um, Is that starting to change or is there going to be a permanent schism between the way that people use videos? Yeah, my my inspiration was pre-pandemic. And in in a nutshell, I noticed a lot of people, particularly young people, you know, under the age of 25, expressing themselves through short video. So I heard some stats from Snap and from Instagram that they have billions of videos made a day by particularly the younger demographic. So whether or not humans are interested in communicating and expressing themselves and connecting with other people through short video is already a determined tendency. Like that's not up for debate. It is a, it is a way, meaningful way in which people like to express themselves and communicate. Uh, what's also clear is they do not yet do it at work. <laughs> um, so to your point at work, Slack teams, maybe uh, Google meet, um, as three of the primary stacks that people use for, for messaging and for real-time video meetings, might those also include in the future some short video? Remains to be seen. None of the big players have shipped that functionality yet. Uh, you could imagine it being just a feature added to those where in addition to being able to type out a, a message or an emoji or a GIF, you could imagine a button that says record a short video and hit send. Um, we think that having a native environment where it's video forward and where it's not just video, but specific rules around that video. So it's less than 60 seconds. It's very empathetic and transparent and kind of like selfie camera centric, vertically oriented, as opposed to kind of like professionally produced horizontal videos. We think that there, there is an opportunity in the market. And that's what we're trying to build a video forward video, short video forward, selfie video forward way for people to work together to communicate, connect, collaborate. Yeah, it's been really interesting over the last 18 months, watching some of these collaboration hubs evolve. And you probably saw the announcement a couple of weeks ago about Slack and huddles. And I'd argue that Slack had the ability to do an in-channel call for a long time, but by rebranding it as huddles and making it, I guess, a little bit less formal than, well, here's my calendar, here's your calendar, let's book 30 minutes. It's more just, hey, do you have a couple of seconds? And I think in large part, that was based upon the success of Clubhouse, even though from what I understand, the numbers on Clubhouse have been falling for a while now. But I could certainly see a future in which you know, you're not just limited to text or you don't have to do something as formal as set up a meeting with someone because you know, there's a certain decorum to it. And it, I think it, you could argue it lacks that immediacy. And, oh, yeah, what were we talking about five days ago? 
Yeah. I mean, as you were asking that question, I was thinking about our own experience. We were a, 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 a wholly Seattle-based team of about 16 of us that worked in an office together every day. We were horrible at remote and we weren't hybrid. We did have one employee in Beijing, China, another one in Australia. And those poor guys, I think back now, they had a horrible, much lesser experience at the company. We didn't have the processes as a culture to really fully embrace those folks that were remote. So we went from that to being like most people in the pandemic, 100% remote overnight. And, you know, one of the things like we had Slack at the time, we had WebEx subscription at the time. Uh, We had a Microsoft Teams license. We weren't using it, but we started using Zoom, (laughs) you know, which we did not have at the time. And I couldn't even tell you why, but there was something about Zoom and we weren't alone. You, You know, you've heard and we've all seen the numbers, you know, Zoom just skyrocketed. Uh, And you could argue, you know, that functionality already existed in five or six applications we had, but something about Zoom, they got it right. It was just a little bit easier, a little bit more quick to get in and out, a little bit better quality. Certainly the grid, I don't remember seeing the grid pattern before where you could see everybody simultaneously. I I don't think that existed. And I'd love to kind of dig into this because I've had a theory and this has come up on a couple of previous episodes. Um, You're right. Is it a better version of Skype the way that some people use it? Absolutely. Um, one of my theories is that aside from just the, the shiny new thing, oh, what's Zoom? I think they were smart in that they did not require you to set up an account first. So if I had an account, right, you could just click on a link, boom, you're in a Zoom meeting. Whereas with Microsoft, and this drives me crazy to this day, because I think they still own Skype, right? I've lost track. It's kind of- Yes, absolutely. Right. Although they- They've rebranded what Skype means. So they took the Skype brand and they applied it to a lot of other products. So what Microsoft calls Skype is not the classic app that you and I remember, the peer-to-peer messaging. It's right. that plus a hundred other things all under one. Big then there was tool. Skype for business, which used to be Link. And yeah, it's right. it's the exactly. lineage is a little confusing. You need a flowchart right. to figure it out. But uh so I think it when I setting up a Skype meeting, if you can't log into site, Skype, you lost your password, you forgot the two-factor authentication, whatever, you can't get in. Whereas Zoom was just click here, boom. You don't even have to download anything if you got a computer. So I think right. that was one reason. But what do you think? I, just a theory. Well, uh, as again, as you're saying that, I'm reflecting on like what I spent the last two weeks doing with Voodle, which is we, we launched Voodle a year ago on iOS. In fact, it's been exactly one year because it was 4th of July, and, and now it's about a year after that. And we launched as iOS only. Then we added, uh, importantly, Android and web. So you could run it from a desktop because everyone told us initially, hey, I can't possibly use this if my colleagues aren't on iOS, like then it doesn't work at all. So we needed to have a heterogeneous platform support. So that took us, you know, another four or five months. Uh, then we had a lot of people saying it needs to integrate with Slack and Teams. You know, we needed to have basic notifications. So then we did that. So we've been kind of like constantly reacting to our initial uh, adoption problems with users, which every product does when they launch. But specifically, the last two weeks, what we addressed is exactly what you were pointing to with Zoom. Is we we said, wait a minute, why are we making people create a username and password at all to make a video or to watch a video? Like the goal here is to get people to like make their first Voodle, share it. So I send one to Phil, Phil watches it, Phil responds to me. Do I really need you authenticated with username and password or me authenticated? And the answer is no. So we just launched that two weeks ago uh, with the thesis that that would lower the bar to entry, like you're suggesting Zoom did. And you, you're probably right. That was probably one of several things. It turns out anytime you ask the user to have to do anything, like read, a, read some text, click on a button, swipe. Anytime you ask them to do anything, it causes cognitive stress for the poor user, and some of them abandon. You get churn and, and abandonment. I actually worked earlier in my career on Silverlight, 
which was a plugin that Microsoft shipped in like 2007, eight. And we actually got 250 million people to install Silverlight in about 18 months. And to do that, we went from our initial product testing, which had like 30 clicks and it took 20 minutes to install Silverlight. We got it down to two clicks and it took less than a minute if you had uh, broadband. Um, it turns out that you really don't want to make the user do anything. You just want to get them into the experience. So I don't know if you're if you nailed it, if that's the main thing that Zoom did, but probably a combination of things that Zoom did cumulatively made it a lot easier to get in and out of Zooms. And that's why Zoom was so successful. Yeah. I've got a bunch of different theories on that. And to your point, sometimes you could argue that there's way too much friction, right? I remember the early days of eBay just buying something, right? Versus Amazon one click. People forget that 1996, 1997, eBay was worth a hell of a lot more than Amazon. And now you laugh because I don't know what eBay's current market cap is, but I know that Amazon is somewhere around $2 trillion, give or take. Right. And we don't, and to your point, we don't know what eBay's market cap is because we forgot and we don't pay attention anymore and we used to. <laughs> right. But it was a legitimate argument, uh, which, which was the way to go. Do you want to buy it now or do you want to participate in an auction and potentially get it at a discount, but you may not get it two weeks down the road? But right. I, I find the subject of friction to be fascinating because on one hand, you do want to make it easy for people to use it. But if it's too easy, and I think Zoom saw this with Zoom bombing, even though I will defend Zoom, in fact, they did in Zoom for dummies because people like to criticize it as not being secure. Well, people forgot that getting back to what we're talking about between the difference of um, uh, with respect to enterprise versus consumer tech, Zoom initially was an enterprise tech tool. So they listened to their customers. They designed it. It is. They didn't imagine you know, university professors and yoga instructors and kindergarten teachers using it. So when people wanted to dunk on Zoom, I said, well, you do realize that people are using it in a way that they didn't exactly intend. Yeah. I think you know what, what also worked in Zoom's favor um, and all the technologies for synchronous meetings is that a lot of our lives pre-pandemic were about going to meetings. And if we work together in offices, you know, a typical day is you go to your desk and at your desk, people might interrupt you and kind of happenstance interrupt you. And you have that casual, spontaneous kind of meeting that happens. Uh, you're walking to get coffee. You talk to someone on the way. Those are meetings. They're unscheduled meetings, but they're meetings nonetheless. And then a lot of your day was like going to rooms that were scheduled in the calendar and sitting down and there was an agenda and you'd sit and talk and you'd look at each other. And that was, that was your day. That was your productivity. Uh, sometimes you'd have a meeting with people that weren't, weren't present. More often than not, for me, those were audio only conference calls. Sometimes we would do video conferencing. You know, I think in 2019, I might have spent a total of 20 hours in video conferences. Whereas the first week of the pandemic, I spent 40, right? So, so I think a, a lot of it is that we brought into the pandemic. Uh, our expectation that working meant synchronous communications and turning on video was kind of like, felt like an, an improvement. And I think, you know, I'm sure the data shows that there's a lot more video conferencing going on than ever before. And that'll probably stay with us from now on. We'll have that expectation. I think what's what hasn't been there for Voodle so far, we, we're not riding a wave of people having a desire to communicate with short video with colleagues at work. We're trying to form that as a new behavior. And that's taking some time. In fact, you and I were talking last week and you pointed out that like when the telephone was introduced, um, you know, it, now we know when you answer the phone, you say, hello, that's the first prompt, right? You don't answer the phone and wait to see who talks first. You don't answer the phone and say, this is Forrest Key, how I help you? You say, hello, that's just the, the, the de facto way in which people communicate. And in Japan, they say moshi moshi, it's a different word. Um, I think that with short video, uh, what we're also finding from our research is people don't know how to use it. They don't know what to say. They're like, well, should I, should I send an update of my, what my pet did yesterday? Should I, should I video food that I'm eating at lunch? Like I do with my friends and family, or are there ways to kind of like, you know, spawn interesting conversation with colleagues about being productive and getting yeah. aligned around projects. And we haven't figured that out yet. Neither of our users. Or, or to make yourself less 
impersonal or, or more personal. I, before I ever heard of Voodle, before I guess Voodle existed, I remember in 2016 when I started as a college professor, I immediately embraced Slack because the learning management systems like Blackboard and Canvas just didn't come with that kind of functionality. Plus, I always thought my job as a college professor was to give them the knowledge and the skills to be successful in the real world. And in the real world, unless they were going to be a PhD student, they weren't going to use a learning management system, but they were going to use Slack or Teams or, or Zoom or whatever. But I remember recording, and it was pretty low tech. I don't even think it was Skype. I think it was just um, Photo Booth on the Mac. Uh, just a three-minute intro. Hi, I'm Professor Simon, and I'll be your professor this semester, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to typing it out or a syllabus, which, yeah, you could show your personality with an animated GIF, and I did that. But you still couldn't see my facial expressions or hear my, you know, my tone of voice and go, oh, you know, it just it seemed like an interesting way to communicate with folks who didn't even know me, never mind folks that I did. Yeah, I mean, your background in academia, being a professor, actually, there is a Voodle-like product that precedes Voodle that came around in 2013 and has actually hit well north of 100 million monthly active users. It's called Flipgrid. And Flipgrid was started by a, a bunch of folks out of uh, University of Minnesota. And it was a professor and his students, and they started to explore how they might use video within the classroom for exactly the scenario you described, like introducing themselves, talking to each other between classes. And it wasn't designed for remote learning per se or for pandemic. And of course, it turned out to be a perfect product for the, <laughs> the remote environment in the pandemic for K-12. So a lot of people that have fifth and sixth graders that I know with kids in school have heard of Flipgrid because parents, teachers, and students are interacting through the Flipgrid platform. Microsoft acquired Flipgrid, and it's now part of the Microsoft broader package of things that they offer schools in, in K-12. So um, there are that is actually, to the extent that I've seen a Voodle-like app that really has crushed it, Flipgrid is the number one product out there. Uh, and I'm super inspired by their features and how they approached it and a really strong sense of community. And they have a, a vibrant, you know, 100 million plus user base that's using the product every month. Mm. Was it a couple of weeks ago, Zoom announced an acquisition for a language translation company, Realtime? I could see how, I don't know if Flipgrid does this because I hadn't heard of it until a few minutes ago when you mentioned it, but even though preaching to the choir about the benefits of doing a short video, Right, as opposed to typing out a 500-word email, record a two-minute video. Um, on the other hand, if, if that video isn't searchable, is it reasonable to expect someone to watch one video, never mind 500, looking for that key piece of information if you use a tool like Slack or Zoom or Microsoft Teams for years and years? Yeah, our research shows that people don't want to watch long videos per se. So the first thing, when the, when the video comes on, what people want to know is like, what's going on here? Is this spam? Is this just kind of like lifestyle update? Is this something critical that's important to me? So when you think about like when you, you know, we've you guys of our generation, at least uh, younger folks, not the case, they, they hate email. Uh, in fact, I saw a hilarious article recently about how, I think it was the New York Times or Washington Post about how much young people hate email. I think it's, it's awesome. And, and email sucks and good for them for never adopting email. But you and I did use email. And one of the skills we developed over decades was this kind of like human sorting algorithm where we kind of look for certain cues in the inbox to know important, delete, spam, to you know, put in this folder, whatever, sorting algorithm. So with videos arriving, you get the same thing. The initial thing you get is a thumbnail and maybe a title, maybe a short description. So you very quickly want to find out what's going on in this video. Is this person happy? Are they sad? Is it, are, they, are they giving me dense, high quality information or is it kind of like hemming and hawing and not getting to the point? So we, from very early on, uh, did transcriptions. We do a, a voice to text. 
currently English only, but that's just a matter of throwing some switches on the back end. Most of our users are English speakers. Uh, when they're not, they complain loudly because we've had Korean and Japanese and Italian say, why don't you translate my language? And of course we will. But basically every Voodle you receive comes with a full transcription that's pretty shockingly accurate. You know, there's some words that it gets wrong or names, but basically you have, uh, you can use it as closed captioning. So you can read the closed captioning as the video plays back. Obviously you can play the video back at 2x or 1x, one and a half speed. So it goes by faster. And you can skim it. And as you skim it, you can click on words and it jumps to the, you know, it knows when that word was said. So you can fast forward. So if you open up the transcript and it's like, Phil, give me an update, but he started talking about his favorite episode of Breaking Bad. And then in second 40, he finally gets to the meat of what he needs to tell me. I can jump right to that and kind of have some power over the playback experience. I think that's really critical to videos being sent back and forth because linear long videos. Like uh, my, my sister loves this application called Marco Polo. That's a consumer version of kind of what we're doing. And with Marco Polo, she'll send me like seven minute monologues. And there's nothing I like worse than being forced to listen to a seven minute monologue from my sister who I love dearly, but this is the wrong way to receive information. If she wants, if she's got seven minutes of stuff to say, let's get on a phone and let's talk. But if she wants to give me a 15 or 20 second update, as, as a spot, you know, condensed spot, like that's super exciting to me because it's more empathetic and I feel more connected to her than a text message or a, vi- a voicemail without video. Yeah. It seems like companies are still trying to figure this out and maybe some of them don't want to get it wrong because there's been blowback and the CEO says, we expect everyone here. Or I've been reading a lot of recent articles about, okay, if people go back on hybrid capacity, there's going to be this natural tendency to assume that if uh, Walter isn't here, but Jesse is, then Jesse's working harder, even though that isn't necessarily the case. It sounds like you know we could cut the communication across a number of different dimensions, synchronous versus asynchronous, in-person versus remote. But maybe another option is going to be the, the type audio versus video or audio versus video versus text. And who's to say you know, what the right medium is, right? I agree with you. If it's a hour long speech announcing acquisition, okay, maybe I'm going to listen to that. But if someone's not going to watch a video with, hey, Forrest, go to HTTP colon, right? Just send me the freaking link. Yeah. You know, the I, I've thought a lot and I've been mentored a lot by wise teachers and mentors on the subject of diversity and inclusion in the broadest sense, but also in a, in a narrower sense of diversity and inclusion, just thinking about hybrid versus remote versus on-premise and you really can't do hybrid. You have to do all remote or all on, on campus. When you do hybrid and some people have access and some people don't, you get into these like this class system of, like you said, somebody who's like present, has more quality time with the boss, endears him or herself to the boss, gets the promotion, maybe irrespective of the work output, the productivity, the impact, right? And obviously the promotion probably most would agree should come from impact and growth and not from you know how much access you have or how much you endear yourself over lunch. So I think that even if you and I were in the same town and we did go to lunch together more often than not, most of the work where we're being productive should be equal in terms of our access to each other and to tools versus our colleagues. So if we're on a team of five, uh, as in a simple example of this, if we if we were going to go on to a conference call and you and I are in the same location, we should probably each have our own laptops and our screens as opposed to having a shared screen. Because if we have a shared screen, it creates a really weird dynamic. And I know because we went through this as a team and we found out, it's like, oh, that didn't work. The five of us were together for the first time in you know a year. And it was a totally weird, awkward meeting for everybody because the people on the laptops were like, why wasn't I included? How come I'm not there? Oh, they're looking at each other across the table. The rest of us are looking into the Zoom camera. So I think this idea of diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, 
equity means equitable. It means having everybody have the same resources and ability to do their best work. And, and as it was taught to me, if somebody is, for example, blind, that person, an equitable opportunity is for them to have additional resources to support their ability to do their best work without vision. So if you were to buy that user a more expensive computer with a monitor that allowed them to be productive from a vision perspective, that's equitable. It doesn't mean that she is getting more resource or more technology. It means she's getting an equitable amount to do the work. So we're all are working from the same basis. And with remote and hybrid, I think that comes into play. You really want the way you do work to be based on everyone being able to do their best work remote. And that means rethinking, what does it mean to do our best work? And going to lunch is fun, but maybe that's not necessary to do great work. I agree. And I know that Microsoft's working on technology to level the playing field. And even if you are in the office, you'll be treated equally in terms of screen space, because I agree, even if you're down the hall, it's not the same as being in the room, much less if you're just, I mean, in the extreme, and you and I are roughly the same age. So we've seen this movie before. You're sitting in a conference room, but there's someone who can't attend. It's just a voice coming out of one of those old plastic black phones. That person does not have nearly the impact just by virtue of not being there. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, I'll get you out of here on this for us. What book are you currently reading? Boy, you know, I um, I just finished, I'm going to give this one. The truth is that I, I go through spurts where I read a lot on paper, then I do audiobooks, and then I go through periods where I don't read at all. I just finished an audiobook, which is the Malcolm Gladwell uh, new book about the World War II bomber mafia. I think it's called the Bomber Mafia. Yeah, how is that? It was, it was fantastic. Uh, and I actually, like a lot of Malcolm Gladwell, I am able to immediately apply it to my life and specifically to Voodle, specifically in 10 seconds or less. Uh, they, this amazing group of intellectual army officers spent the entire 1930s planning for bomber warfare, like what they, what kind of machines they would build and how they'd use air force superiority to like win wars. And it was strategic and interesting and intellectually sound, but it didn't work (laughs) when they went and started bombing Germany and then later Japan, it didn't work. And some of the officers in the field, including this guy LeMay uh, just said, look, this doesn't work. We got to try different things. And it's incredible how people get wedded to their ideas. And even in the face of failure, like can't, realize that the idea doesn't work and you have to improvise. And it's a good reminder, like to always like take a step back, look at the data and try new things and not just bring my thesis that, Oh, people are going to love Voodle. They're going to love expressing themselves through Voodle in certain ways. We're running into a lot of obstacles and we need to overcome those obstacles through creativity and not being wedded to our intellectual ideas. So the book resonated on a lot of levels for that reason. Good stuff for us. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access 
and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.